Irish Illustrated Insider is sponsored by VisitSouthBend.com. Is it time to check a Notre Dame home game off your bucket list? Has it been too long since you've soaked in the game day atmosphere in person? Whether it's for the first time ever or in a while, start planning your trip to South Bend to watch the Fighting Irish with ideas and inspiration at VisitSouthBend.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priest with John Bryce. We expect Tim O'Malley to be joining us here shortly. We're reporting from uh, all points in, in North America here today. Uh, as as uh, some of us try to get back to South Bend, I'm not quite there yet, but uh, things are happening. We, we sat down with uh, Marcus Freeman today. He had a little press gathering. Uh, JB, why don't you... Um, why don't you go ahead and start? Because there are about four or five topics that we want to talk about. That by by the time we get to segment two here, we should have Tim O'Malley back in. Yeah, back in business. A bit of a wrinkle. Uh, we're not necessarily accustomed to to greeting uh, or meeting with Coach Freeman immediately after the regular season. That's typically not done until we uh, know the bowl game for Notre Dame and, and the opponent, things like that. But a really productive session, I felt like, this afternoon with Marcus Freeman discussing really all things in the state of the Notre Dame football program. To me, most significantly uh, was Marcus Freeman talking about his earnest desire to bring back the coaching staff intact. Uh, he talked about the need to specifically improve the offense in big games. He did not shirk anything there, but he emphasized time and time again that he wants the uh, the Notre Dame offense to return intact. He cited the improvement of the defense from year one to year two under Al Golden as being a key factor. He noted that uh, with the exception of Dylan McCullough, it was really an entirely all-new offensive staff. He believes they can grow uh, considerably going into a second year together. Uh, now, he'll still have to perhaps help hold on to a couple of coaches on both sides of the ball, I believe. Uh, but a very strong statement from Marcus Freeman that led things off more or less. And and also, I think uh, that's a message that's been reiterated around campus. That was not window dressing for a press conference. I think Marcus Freeman believes continuity is the path forward for this Notre Dame football program to take its next step, TP. And, of course, we are going to uh, talk about yesterday's game in Palo Alto. Notre Dame wins 56-23, to 23, kind of a sloppy start on the road, which is which has been fairly typical. But uh, yeah, three three turnovers in the first half. You're down three turnovers to none in the first half. And um, it, it was – Stanford didn't have any in the first half. Is that correct, Chad? Did I have that right? Yeah, anyway, I think that's right. You didn't expect them to be up by 12 at halftime based upon – some of the things that transpired there in the first half, but uh, that was, I, I had an opportunity to to sit down and, and rewatch the game. And man, you want to talk about body on body. Notre yeah. Dame was on point uh, with their, with their offensive line and their tight ends blocking that front seven for, for Stanford, Stanford, no way were they in any way close to being ready physically to, uh, to handle Notre Dame. And so uh, I think we're, we're gonna we're gonna reflect on that a little bit, but I, but because we had that the gathering with Marcus Freeman and, and talked about these various topics, I think we're gonna focus more on that. Tim uh, O'Malley has joined us, and Tim one of the Tim was not able to be a part of the the Marcus Freeman press conference, but he did indicate that uh, he's pretty confident and comfortable that uh, Sam Hartman will be participating in the bowl game. He was asked about a couple of other things, LSU being a potential opponent and he was diplomatic uh, in his response to that uh and and uh, JB you brought up a guy named Brennan Marion who um, is the offensive coordinator at, at UNLV 
and there had been some talk of him possibly being a candidate to replace Jared Parker. Uh, we know for sure that Brennan, Brennan Marion won't be the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame next year because uh, Marcus Freeman said he didn't know who that was. So get all your news from Irish Illustrated because generally speaking, we're pretty accurate. Tim, how you doing? Pretty good. That's a that's a nice way to catch up. There we go. Mad 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 dash back to South Bend by Tim O'Malley. Tell you what, I, I did have a uh, really good transfer portal Monday music coming out, and then all of a sudden I find out while I'm in Chicago, a transfer portal already hit. So you have to tweak that one and then send it off for, for publication. Yeah, Tom, Tom Loy has reported that Nano Osafa Mensa will be transferring from Notre Dame. This is going to be the first of quite a few, I, and I just think that that is going to be. The nature of college football across the board. Uh, Tim, what's your? Have you raised your over under on? Uh, he was on. Nah, he was on there. So uh, no. yeah, uh, not no, it was on the over under. Oh yeah. Um, so it, this this includes NFL, future medicals, transfers, all that stuff. I went through my list of guys with eligibility and there's almost, I there's very ever, ever, ever very few freshmen that I put on that because of, uh, I don't think many freshmen transfer out for the freshman year. You'll get like one or two every year. I have 35 guys with eligibility that could, that I could that if they say I'm not returning for whatever reason, I'd be like, Oh yeah. Okay. Makes sense. So I'd set the over under for portal and defections at about 19 and a half. That would include a guy like, um, a guy that should go that goes pro that maybe shouldn't or something along those lines. No, I mean that includes pros too. You know, it's like nineteen and a half guys that won't be there that that could be. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, to your point, To a really good one. Going into this season, we felt like there was a chance Idrick Estime could evolve yeah. and develop into an NFL back. We know here today that Audric Estime is an NFL back. And a little bit of a, a promotional teaser here. I can promise you that coming up in uh, my next installment of the fifth quarter, we've got some fascinating insight into just how dominant Audric Estime's season has been. Yeah, and you know, I mean, obviously he deserved to be on the Dope Walker Award list. Uh, to me, it's even more astonishing. That was a list of 10. And to me, it's even more astonishing that Al Golden was not on the list of, of 15 coaches. Uh, but, you know, they were that good. And a lot of credit to Al Washington, Max Bala, um, uh, Chris O'Leary, and Mike Mickens, of course, all contributing to a great uh, a great defensive performance this year. Top 10 rankings all across the board. And if LSU is the opponent in the Reliquist Bowl, which it clearly is the odds-on favorite, as we sit here right now, I'm not exactly sure – uh, just off the top of my head, what would have to transpire in the conference championship games this weekend to change that? But Nordame, my point being, L, L. Golden's defense is going to have to be great if Nordame's going to match up against that LSU offense. Even if, even if Jane, even if Daniels does not play, they have Grant Nussmeyer, who's a an experienced quarterback and has played in uh, has has been productive in bowl games in the past. So Notre Dame is going to have to bring all the defense that it has to contain that LSU offense. Yeah, I would be surprised if uh, if Jaden Daniels plays. I do expect him to be one of the five Heisman finalists and be invited to New York City. I know that LSU has just re recently launched a website dedicated to Daniels' Heisman campaign. There's the obvious uh, Brian Kelly, Marcus Freeman uh headliner portion of that but the subplot would obviously be logan diggs is down there now and has uh, continued to carve a role 
for that LSU offense over the course of the year. Um, be a great test for for Notre Dame in a lot of ways to see how much it has improved team speed. I think we were all in agreement uh, going all the way back to August that this is a Notre Dame team that is measurably faster than it has been in the past. It's still not as fast as it needs to be. Um, LSU has a lot of fast dudes. That game, is a little more, that game is a little more interesting if the one guy I think should opt out, Cam Hart, opts out because he's a guy that should be guarding one of the fast dudes. Yeah, and Hart and Morrison did a stellar job on uh, Iowa Manor last night. It was, I mean, we went over all the numbers in the instant analysis and in our writing, but um, it's a different animal with those LSU wide receivers. And, and you know, I mean, a, a guy like Nussmeyer, a quarterback, you just got to kind of throw it in their vicinity, right? Uh, yeah, I, I'd take that as opposed to the 40 yard escapes every time yeah. Jane Daniels leaves the pocket. Very yeah, true. The, the potential for a Ben Morrison Malik neighbors matchup yep. would uh, would be spectacular. I'm a Bolitnikov voter and had Malik on my my final three, I think, over the course of the weekend. Uh, he's been super impressive. Uh, and, and Tim, you made a, a great point. Both of you guys did a moment ago about the job the coaching staff has done at various positions. I, I think you've got a legitimate chance with with Audric Estime. He was a midseason All-American. I think he's got a great shot of being an All-American. I think Xavier Watts should be an All-American. Joe Alt. you got a chance to have All-Americans at three different positions by three different coaches uh, for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. I think that's significant. Tim, we've been talking about turnovers, and you you made you turned me at one point when they were spitting the ball up throughout the entire first half about they turn the ball over on the road. Do you know exactly what the stats are? They, because they've turned it over 17 times. And I think by my count, 13 of them have come away from home. I was about to say, I could think of 12 uh, in the last three road games. And then there's a fumble against NC State. And then right. I guess it was Duke clean? Was Duke yeah, clean? All right. Well, yeah, there was 13. Yeah. Was clean. yeah, one against NC State. Duke was clean. Louisville. You know, that I mean, I guess that's well, I guess it's not the outlier because they had four against Stanford and three against Clemson, but yeah. that's a bunch that that's a bunch. And I don't know. I was trying to uh, think of that, Tim. Um, when you say outlier, that's a good point. I didn't mean to interrupt, but there's only one outlier. When you're down by a ton against Louisville, the last pick is an outlier, but everything else was game relevant. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Uh quarterbacks. Uh Notre Dame obviously is in the business of of getting a fourth quarterback and and Marcus Freeman talked about it today. And I I think every team in the country has to view it the same way, right? You can't go into a spring with three quarterbacks. No, No. you cannot go into a spring with this. I don't, I don't know how. I mean, are there going to be quarterbacks to go around? I don't know. I don't get the angst over bringing in a quarterback to try to make your team better. If Notre Dame brought in a great all-time great tight end would you say well that screws Mitchell Evans over I wanted to see Mitchell Evans play even at that I mean even like that you play two tight ends um last year alone was was proof that they needed um multiple quarterbacks 2022 uh yeah I mean you make a lot of a lot of great points T.O. and furthermore this is a coaching staff that is very candid on the recruiting trail and talking about how they're going to recruit now and they're going to keep trying to recruit at a different level if you're not bringing in elements to make your program better, then you're being a dereliction of duty of making your program better. Where's the angst coming from, Tim? What are you you're talking about? The message board. Are pe- are people that want Steve Angeli to start because he was six for seven against Pittsburgh. What if, yeah, what if they don't bring a quarterback in? Angeli wins wins the job in the spring and Minchie leaves. Well, I, that happens I, every year at Notre Dame. 
Yeah, yeah. 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 No, for forty you, years it's happened. Good. And, we, and obviously, we have questions on transfer quarterbacks in the second segment, so we're not gonna we're not gonna walk over that narrative right now. But um, any like I, I don't know what else that we haven't covered from the the Stanford game, man. I mean, again, I want to talk. about I watched the game this morning, and yeah, we knew it in person. But when when you're able to watch it up close like that, body on body, Nordheim's tight ends were just. I, I we were talking about Eli Raritan the the night of the game, but Cooper Flanagan was absolutely great as well. Uh, the wide receivers were blocking Tobias Merriweather through a seal off block on, on the, uh, on the outside on Audric Estime's last touchdown run. Um, com- completely dominant, but let, I, I want to say this, and we do have a question about this in the second segment. If you think Troy Taylor's team is going to stay down like that, you are badly mistaken because they're just undermanned right there. They were undermanned right now. There was nothing they could do. I think the TV broadcast showed the six offensive linemen that that transferred out. You can't. You you have no chance when, when, when something like that happens. And, again, we live in an age now where that is going to happen to teams, maybe not to that extent where six offensive linemen leave at once, uh, but this is going to decimate teams. It's just going to make – it's going to make things very, very difficult in putting together rosters. Six is a lot, but in a regime change, you're going to lose a bunch. They also they didn't only change regimes; they changed schemes. They changed, I mean, they changed their whole oh, program yeah. around when they got rid of yeah. Shaw. Um, the one thing, I, I mean, I, I don't know how well he'll be able to recruit to Stanford, though. I did, we did hear from our insider um, Jackson Moore that they are going to allow and have started to allow undergraduate transfers into the football team at Stanford, um, which is a huge help to them because yeah. they can start getting guys from Notre Dame, Vanderbilt. Northwestern Duke. I mean, you know, you can get, I mean, there's guys, I mean, guys from everywhere, you get guys from everywhere, but I'm saying those guys that aren't good enough to play at those schools could go help Stanford's depth from Notre Dame. They could go start for Stanford, but they're less likely to bring in grad transfers. Right. I mean, it's, it's, is that, is that correct or no? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why, but I I I thought, I thought until this change, they were basically only able to get grad transfers, and there were even severe restrictions beyond that. I, I could be mistaken there, um, but I do oh. think I, I do think that Troy Taylor is a fantastic coach and has been a proven winner. Uh, and Stanford joining the ACC is certainly going to help answer some of those questions on the recruiting trail. There's still significant questions um, moving forward from COVID, just about how serious Stanford wants to continue to be about its NCAA athletics in general. And I think that that's something that um, is going to be a far greater factor than a lot of people realize as Troy Taylor tries to to get Stanford back to where David Shaw and even Jim Harbaugh had it for so many years. Hey, I don't think you ever get back there, honestly. They, the, the 2012, excuse me, 2010 through 2013 Stanford teams were unique to college football in the way they won at that level with, with their academics. And the, and they had the toughest team in the sport almost every year for four straight years. I mean, yeah. those guys were yes. animals. And who started that? Who got that ball rolling? Oh, yeah, quite, indeed. <laughs> Jim Harbaugh, who uh, who clearly out its opponent, Michigan's opponent this past weekend. Uh, I, I would agree, Tim. I, I, I don't. It's really difficult to envision Stanford getting back to the level that they eight that and they five. Were I mean, I, I think Troy Taylor can go eight and five in those you yeah. know, consistently big that, that, which is great for Stanford. Normally, they just have the outlier of those seasons. Yeah, like in the ACC, you know, I mean, the ACC is not 
it's 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 losing its footing as a basketball conference, which in in our days growing up was clearly the number one. Well, uh, it's losing it, or it never really had great footing uh, football wise in the, in the ACC. So yeah, I would I would think that a guy like Troy Taylor can reach that point, but I don't see it ever getting back to uh, back to where uh, it was about ten years ago. JB, anything else from uh, from Marcus Freeman today? I think we hit most of the highlights. Without um, without. Think- Oh, sorry. Go ahead, TP. I mean, without getting into the quarterbacks, which transfers, which we're going to in the second segment. Yeah, no, the only other thing um, I thought we asked some salient questions today and we asked him about um, those young guys stepping up, particularly in this last week's game, the Drake Bowen, um, the two guys on the O-line, the young receivers, and just the importance of that, I think, is significant that that you've got guys late in the season getting that earnest playing time, that meaningful playing time, and going straight into bowl preps, which, by the way, is going to begin on Thursday of this week, Marcus Freeman told us. I just think that's significant when you have young players getting this experience late in the year that they can immediately build on it with sustained work in December going into the bowl game. So that's not only important, in my opinion, for the right here and now of Notre Dame football. It's, once again, another element that Notre Dame uses on the recruiting trail. I thought Drake Bowen played a very active football game when he had his opportunities in the, in the second half. Clearly he's a leading candidate to be a starter at linebacker for Notre Dame next year. Uh, JB, you mentioned that they will um, practice on Thursday. Coaches will go on the road on Friday to recruit. So oh, really and, and one more, yeah. One more key thing I think is that speaking of transfers, as we address them about Stanford, Marcus Freeman addressed Stanford uh, transfers at the University of Notre Dame and, and said that there's open dialogue and, and working there with Notre Dame admissions so that they have a, a clear idea of getting guys in. And he, he seemed very encouraged by developments as it pertains for, for Notre Dame being able to receive transfers. I do think that was significant from his visit today. Tim, what do you got? To wrap up do you think, since I didn't hear it, do, do you think he meant non-freshmen and non-graduates? I, I, I think so. I think it, maybe he um, meant more freshmen could be more yeah, freshmen. Could yeah, be a more thing freshmen. Too. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, Graduates the, are, yeah. He spoke specifically about um, things being expedited and being clear on answers uh, for guys okay. that they can, can get into school and, and move forward in that regard. So um, yeah. he, he seemed, he seemed heartily encouraged by it. Where Tim, we're there, you know, they can evaluate and they, they will, you know, hopefully get a quicker response as to yay or nay. Yeah, that's some good behind-the-scenes stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's always been something that has been a hindrance to them, not, you know, not knowing whether they could move forward with guys. So, uh, anyway, we got more to talk about in segment two. You've heard us talk about home field apparel since the start of the season. There are a lot of collegiate apparel brands out there, but we wanted to partner with home field because their designs are the best out there. Some of of Irish Illustrated's favorites are the Sam Hartman Victory March T the script tee, and the retro long sleeve. Be sure to go to homefieldapparel.com, filter by Notre Dame, and see what we're talking about. There's also currently an exclusive football bundle, which includes a baseball tee, sweats, a hoodie, and more. It's the perfect gift for a fellow Irish fan or a perfect gift to treat yourself for being a loyal Notre Dame fan. And our listeners get an exclusive deal using code Irish Illustrated. Irish Illustrated gets you 15% off your first order. We know you're all wearing Notre Dame gear, so if you're in need of a refresh, we really think you should check out Home Field Apparel. Their designs are super unique, and a lot of thought goes into each concept. There's really nothing else on the market like what Home Field is doing. 
You can find them at homefieldapparel.com. And again, use code IRISHILLUSTRATED for 15% off your first order. Segment two, coming up, burning up the boards. If you're coming to a game this season, you have to check out Game Day Your Way, the official tailgate service provider of Notre Dame. Game Day Your Way offers everything you need, including tailgate gear, catering, and even beverage delivery right to your spot. And their Irish Express transportation from Chicago allows you to tailgate while you travel to their all-inclusive party zone in South Bend. Let Game Day deal with all the hassle so you can focus on the fun. For tailgates, tickets, transportation, and more, visit GameDayYourWay.com. Welcome back to segment two, burning up the boards. And we actually had a couple Stanford questions. So we're going to go ahead and read those first before we move on to the 2024 season. Irish John M. Why aren't Notre Dame fans happy with a team that scored 56 points before the fourth quarter and with blowing out a team that beat them 16 to 14 at home last year? Am I missing something? Yeah, you are. Stanford's Stanford's horrible. I, I mean, the reason that there's such a disparity between this year and last year is because they lost their whole team and program and had to start all over again with a different offensive system, et cetera, et cetera. I, you know, it's, yeah. Marcus Freeman addresses it all the time. He addressed it today. You have to be better against the better teams, especially offensively. And they weren't able to, they weren't able to do that this year. Yeah. I think the frustration is that you look at the season and, and there's tangible step forward. They're nine and three after being eight and four in the regular season a year ago, Marcus Freeman's debut, but this was a much better team than a year ago. Uh, And this is a team that you feel like really left a lot on the table and left a lot on the table, uh, most specifically with how much it should have won the Ohio state game. I I still believe to this day it outplayed Ohio state um, in virtually every facet and uh, but had some boneheaded execution mistakes uh, that cost it the win and then the the loss at Louisville is not a bad loss considering what Louisville did in the stretch of the season um, but again that was a first year program that had overhauled its roster through the portal and found a way to beat a, a Notre Dame program in its second year and more established and more entrenched under Marcus Freeman so there is it's okay to be pleased with some elements of this season. It's also okay to say Notre Dame left a lot on the table. And I talk about um, in various sports, I talk about the window to win. Notre Dame had a really good window to win this year. And when you look at what's coming next year, you wonder how much the window shrinks because obviously a Sam Hartman's gone. Audrey Estime, we expect to be gone. Joe Alt, we expect to be gone. Cam Hart, we expect to be gone on and on. So the window almost certainly cannot be as wide next year. I think it goes back to two things. If Notre Dame didn't have nine turnovers combined against Louisville and Clemson, we would not have noticed every turnover in the first half and thought it was a symptom of the team as opposed to unlucky turnovers or poor ball handling by Sam Hartman. And number two, as we said before the Clemson game, if they don't beat Clemson. Nobody's going to care about the rest of the season until they play LSU in the bowl game. And they did not beat Clemson and nobody cared about the rest of the season until they might play LSU or Tennessee in the bowl game. You yeah, couldn't impress. I, you can't impress a Notre Dame fan with a win over Stanford this year well especially when you had three turnovers in the first half and were sloppy look um it was they ended up blowing out stanford and that's a good thing that's what you should have done and that's what they did stanford was zero and seven at home this year their 33 point loss to notre dame was they also lost by 35 and 36 so uh it, it was pretty easy to come into stanford stadium which with a completely partisan notre dame crowd i it it Stanford was at home and they weren't even representative of being a 
visiting team crowd wise. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and it was like that a little bit. Uh, a good friend of mine's son was a starting defensive lineman for Stanford uh, a little bit uh, five years ago. And it was like that even when Stanford was still winning eight, nine, 10 games going to the Pac-12 championship game. They just um, have really struggled to draw crowds. And, and again, talking about Stanford a little bit more, I don't think they'll ever get back to where they were on the field or in the stands. Uh, pre-COVID as opposed to post-COVID. And then one more quick thing just uh, in assessing this game and this season. Um, I do think that Notre Dame kept things from going so far off the rails that it would have been an abject disaster of the season after the Clemson game. They did not play good opponents in Wake Forest or Stanford, um, scheduling beyond their control, but they did show some metal within the program, I believe, by winning those two games that combined 101 to 30 and carrying as much improvement and momentum into a potential very attractive bowl game as they possibly could. So, again, a lot left out there on the field this season, points and wins, um, but they did close as well as they could after that Clemson game. Speaking of a question lot. From Andy, question from Andy. Question from Andy. Oh, I'm sorry, Tim, go ahead. You got it. ND09 his 12. Is that right? Uh, does the Nordin administration understand that the fan base would be perfectly happy ditching the Stanford game? It seems like a waste of independence to have both Stanford and Navy clogging game slots every single year. I am perfectly happy ditching the Stanford game as well. I don't have a strong opinion on it other than it's my yeah, understanding. It's my understanding that that game is intended to be preserved. Uh, and I think it's very notable uh, and very important to convey Notre Dame really went to the deck hard to get Stanford admitted into the ACC. And yes, Notre Dame is not a full-fledged ACC member, but Notre Dame, Jack Swarbrick and company absolutely used every bit of cachet and capital that they had to help secure Stanford becoming ACC members. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't have a stance on it, a firm stance on it either way. I, I'll reiterate what I said in segment one, in that I think Troy Taylor is going to, like, if I don't think Stanford's going to be this lousy all the time. If that's the, it's, if that's the reason for ditching them, they beat you last year, by the way. Um, you know, then I understand that, but I don't think that they're going to stay at that level. I don't think that's the whole reason he's asking for ditching him, though. I think he means okay. Help me, help me. Then you have to play USC. You have to play Navy. You're an independent school that has to play five ACC teams. So do you have to play Stanford? <laughs> okay, year. that's. The, I think that's what he's asking along that those lines. Like you're not getting rid of USC or Navy. You got to play five, sometimes <laughs> six ACC games. Could Stanford be a game that now you just rotate as an ACC partner? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, from that perspective, I I do understand it. You're going to have so many opponents from which to choose now to get your allotted amount of ACC teams that you you do want to rotate a little bit more. But um, you know, I know. I mean, Notre Dame feels a a bond with Stanford. It's they've had it since the late '80s. I didn't realize, by the way, that Tristan Sinclair was the son of Andy Sinclair, who was a really good center for for Stanford in the late '80s. Um, yeah, again, what's it tell you when you're starting to cover the sons of dads that you covered way back then? But um, yeah, I mean, I get it. I get it from that standpoint. But Notre Dame feels pretty strongly about a, a, a close affiliation and tie with with Stanford. 
Question from Irish from A2. Did these players have more or less impact than you thought in 23? And what sort of impact can they have in 24? Let's start with more or less. Jordan Botello. I thought Botello would have more of an impact. I thought Merriweather would have more of an impact. I thought Rubio was about the impact that he would provide. Um, Sneed, I'm not, I'm not like, I don't, I wasn't on the Sneed bandwagon that he was suddenly going to break out during his sophomore year. Moving forward, that could could be a little bit different. Stays flashed early on, and then now well, he's now he's injured. He had a shoulder injury. I don't know if we talked about that too much. To Alamaka, I just don't. I don't know what position he plays or or should play. I, I don't think that he's an impactful defensive end, and I don't think he's quick enough to play linebacker. Those were the yeah. six guys that Irish from A2 is wondering about. I would say Merriweather had far less. And nobody had more. Holden Stays had four touchdowns. I would not have guessed four touchdowns for Holden Stays. No, they, yeah. and they came all real early. I think maybe, I think at times maybe Rubio was a little bit further along than I thought he would yeah. be based upon what we saw last year. And I'm very hopeful uh, for him moving forward. Um, he battled injuries, right? I mean, he got hurt yeah. in the Navy game. Yeah, he did. Certainly yeah. He did. Yeah, I was going to say I would I would put that grouping almost entirely at or below um, what had been expected going into the season, with the exception of Rubio. I think that he flashed. Yeah. Um, he showed some real physical toughness against Ohio State uh, and coming back probably a little quicker than, than was initially expected he could return. Um, so much like what we saw with Jaden Thomas and Jaden Greathouse over the course of the season and those tissue injuries hampering them, we saw the knee injury hamper Gabriel Rubio's development. But I thought he showed some uh, some good potential there to let you know I think he'll be a reliable member of that interior D-line moving forward. You know, after we saw Snead start the year and make a play in the red zone against Ohio State, I would have thought he would have made more plays but I'm with Tim in that if you just gave me his snap total and the plays he made total over the course of the season, that's probably, I thought he might ascend once he started making plays against Ohio state. Is my right. Opinion. But, so, but you're saying plays per snaps. He made about, yeah. yeah. You know, Batello, I, I know we've talked about this before, but I, I just don't, you know, he came into the program so aggressive and, and so they had to try to teach him how to be one 11th of the defense. And I and while he is more, he's certainly more funda- fundamentally sound, and plays within the defense more. I, I think it's taken away his aggressiveness. And I and I'm not saying I, I'm not saying that the coaching staff was wrong in emphasizing that at all, because especially a defensive end, man. You but it's it's a really difficult position to play because on one hand you have to be a pass rusher, on the other hand you have to be an edge protector, and that's a that's a combination that's a little bit opposed to one another. You have to drop too when you're the Viper because you're on the boundary and you occasionally drop into that zone flat. Hey, what, what was your perspective on who was supposed to pick up EJ Smith on that early pass? Where Batello I thought got he was supposed to drop deeper than that. He probably was. He he probably was. I, I, no, there was nobody else right, right. to defend him. They did. I, we mentioned this in instant analysis. They did a tremendous job of moving EJ Smith around and taking advantage of them. They can, the, the running backs carried twice. They had eight people carry the football and the running backs, the two running backs carried twice. 
you weren't going to make any ground against Notre Dame. So I thought they did a good job of moving EJ Smith around and accentuating him in the passing game. And obviously Notre Dame was, was unprepared for that. Next question from TWS 8337. This is a good one through the regular season. Who is the MVP of the receivers room considering a different player led the team and catches yards and touchdowns? Uh, um, I mean, I would Chris Tyree. I think Chris Tyree was the most consistent from start to finish. Um, when you consider that he was a running back, like think about the negative plays from him as a receiver. They were they were very limited considering he was a running back last year. He's my choice. Yeah, he's my I, choice too. You add a punt return touchdown, right, JB? That that, yeah. that counts. He's from the room. Yeah, exactly. Um, and again, there's there's a lot to be encouraged by for those young guys, and you could just about for his late season impact. Um, make a semi-argument for Jordan Faison to have come from really nowhere to have played a very viable, significant role for this team down the stretch and, and to cause them to, you know, take the uh, take the cross scholarship off and put it a football scholarship. But yeah, it, it's Chris Tyree because um, he was he was the most reliable and to Tyree's credit, he stayed overall really healthy this year. I want to add one some context to this. Not only is there a different receiver leading in all those categories, but Rico Flores is a different receiver that led them in total snaps, 405. And guess the last time a true freshman wide receiver led Notre Dame's wide receivers in snaps? Michael Floyd. Golden Tate was on that team, so there's no way Michael Floyd led him in snaps. Guess what? I can't think of one ever when I was on a plane when I thought of it. I don't think there is one. Wow. Wow. You think a Lou Holtz team had a wide receiver lead him in snaps? A wide receiver? I don't think so. <laughs> oh, I mean, oh, oh, okay. I, I, okay. I thought you meant amongst. The no, receivers. among the wide receivers. Among the wide receivers. I don't think Lou Holtz had a wide receiver lead his team in snaps. As among wide receivers. I mean, as a freshman, right? As a freshman. Yeah. yeah. No, I gotcha. Maybe Tim Brown is. I don't think Tim Brown led a team as a freshman in fifth Faust. Do you? Did he lead him in snaps for a wide? I mean, among the wide receivers. Like, I don't even think it's possible. Yeah, I. You know, I, I don't know. I think it. The, the gathering of that room is going to be really interesting next year because, you know, again, like Jaden Thomas is like kind of out of sight, out of sight, out of mind right now in the receiver room. But he has been the lead. He was the leader of that group coming into the season. All he's doing now is blocking. Basically, he did throw a. Oh, no. <laughs> you know who had the best view of uh, Jaden Thomas had the best view of Jabron Payne's touchdown non-fumble at the goal line if when you when you see Tim when you see the uh, TV version of it you'll see that he's standing right there and he knew all along he was adamant that it was it was definitely a touchdown but but to get back to the question um you know next year is going to be really interesting because you have Micah Gilbert coming in who they believe is going to be a guy that can play right away Faison takes the next step Maybe, hopefully, Chris Tyree comes back. Jaden Thomas, Flores, Faison. You know, I, I I still believe that they need an established receiver, but I don't believe, like I think there was a time where we were saying, well, they need two. I'm not sure that that's, that's true. You want to be safe. I get it. You want to be safe. You don't want to run into this situation again at receiver. But the room is starting to develop as this seem, this season comes to an end. I just wrote that in Monday Musings. I don't think you need two, but you do need one because you absolutely yeah. have to get one all the time that you have to. Yeah. Next yeah, well, becoming, uh, yeah. yeah I, would, I would just quickly add, it's becoming almost like needing four quarterbacks. You're going to need um, 
you're going to need an additional body at wide receiver. And especially, look, let, let's be real. Next year is the year that the playoff expands to 12 teams. You have a far greater chance of playing extra games in your season, which means depth is that much more important. Well, Tim, you're going to have to counsel Chancey Stuckey on how many wide receivers he needs because he needed more than four. That's for sure. He needed, he needed more than he than he had this year. We joke about that all the time, but uh, you know, I mean, you, you certainly can understand why receivers get banged up with with all the with all that they have to do, running, blocking, catching, diving. Uh, it certainly happens. Question from Joe Ty, Joe T. Tom Lloyd mentioned on the boards that Notre Dame is doing its due diligence with Cam Ward. He is the quarterback from Washington State. Is Ward a serious possibility? And who are the other quarterback possibilities other than Riley Leonard? It's about to get interesting out there this week. Um, the Riley Leonard. Oh, go ahead, Tim. Well, I would just I just I would throw in Will Howard from Kansas State as another possibility. Yeah, yeah. I would I would put Will Howard um, as right now. I think he's more feasible than a Cam Ward. I don't think there was much more than uh, a very cursory tire kicking as it pertains to Cam Ward um, and and Riley Leonard. I don't necessarily think we'll be expected to follow Mike Elko to Texas A&M, but I also know directly uh, that Riley Leonard has some significant suitors, particularly on the, on the West Coast. And these are teams that have, by and large, paid very, very heavy sums of money to get quarterbacks out of the transfer portal. I'm north, glad you brought uh, the money. North of California, huh? JB? North Say of that California. again, buddy. Uh, uh, different. No, actually, maybe a little a little north of California there. Uh, maybe some some teams that wear green and purple. Oh, okay. So north of Oregon. Yes. Um I like I think I think the expectation is like, okay, you're gonna go out and get a guy that that everybody, I don't even know how to say this. Ryder Leonard is the guy that I would like to come to Notre Dame if that's the group. I don't, I, Cam Ward, I think, is too inconsistent. I don't think that that is the route to go. Um, I really need to look, I really would need to look at Will Howard a little bit more. I like Howard uh, a lot. Yeah. Sorry, TP. Yeah. No, that's all right. I mean, I, I just, you know, and, and that, that will then lead to the question will, will the offensive coordinator come with him? Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's the case um, at all, at all. But um, in terms of Howard, I was talking with um, some different people around the sport today and some others, and he's to me he he's kind of similar to Riley Leonard. Maybe he's not quite yet as polished as Riley Leonard, or maybe has quite the ceiling. But I like Howard. I think he's a gamey, scrappy guy that's um, going to make some tough plays for you if that's the direction that Notre Dame goes. I know the the Cam Ward stuff has been out there, and uh, he's been a guy that I've been fascinated with since he was an FCS player because he was so dynamic before ever transferring up. Um, but he's he's not played in an offense, in a pro-style offense, really. He is far right. more the spread, the go, the RPO, tempo. And, and again, that's not what Notre Dame envisions its offense being. If you said right now it's Will Howard or Riley Leonard, like if you knew you could get one of those two, you'd feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I think so. But I just think that, again, I, I don't want to uh, be a, a wet blanket or a cold shower or any of those uh, stupid cliches. But um, I think that, that Notre Dame uh, has serious uh, headwinds in the Riley Leonard sweepstakes. Yep. 
Next from Kay Garrity. Is it safe to say that if we haven't heard one way or the other about Jared Parker's position by the middle of next week, that he is coming back as offensive coordinator? Well, again, I, I you know, I, I think that the, the way <clears throat> Marcus Freeman framed it today, I, it, it certainly sounds like he's going to give him another chance. He referenced, you know, his situation. Um, I, I, I don't, Look, I can see it both. I, certainly, from Marcus Freeman's perspective, I could see where he doesn't want a, a one-and-done coordinator. That I mean, that is just so disruptive to a team. On the other hand, as he said, you cannot, you can't be inferior when you go up against quality defenses. You're not going to achieve the goals that Notre Dame sets for itself. Uh, it, you know, if you're not better against those opponents, I haven't really studied next year's schedule as it relates to what kind of defenses those teams will put on the field, but it, that doesn't really matter because if you make the playoffs, you, you, you're going to have to play against real quality defenses. And the whole goal is to, to put yourself in a playoff position and beyond. Well, in that regard, I don't at all disagree, but to what uh, T.O. just said, Rico Flores just led the team as a true freshman um, led led all the wideouts and snaps. So Notre Dame has to get to a point where it's not going into free agency every year for a quarterback, and it has to get to a point where these players are supplemental pieces and not primary pieces. I mean, you you closed your season again, and I I, I point to the previous staff almost wholeheartedly. Not not Marcus Freeman, not Jared Parker, not Chancey Stuckey, but they're paying for the sins of their forefathers when you close the season and your top four wide receivers are a converted running back, a lacrosse player turned football player, and two freshman <laughs> wideouts. I mean, you can't be you can't be what Notre Dame aspires and attains to be and play these true freshmen and go straight into the portal every year. And at some point in time, I'm going to tell you, well, it's honestly already happening in some regards, it'll be a negative recruiting tool against Notre Dame at a court at the quarterback standpoint, when they constantly go to the portal year after year. And if you get a if you end up having a portal quarterback start for Notre Dame in 24, it is going to be your fifth different starting quarterback in five consecutive seasons. And a, and if that's a quarterback on a one year term, then you get ready to head into 25 with six different starting quarterbacks in six consecutive seasons. I just think we heard Marcus Freeman talk about consistency today. I know I'm a little animated, but you got to have some consistency. Um, triggering your offense as well and i think with the with the quarterbacks well you're having a fifth new starter no matter what you could you could keep steve angeli and have a and have a fifth new starter sure. but i also think you'd have a sixth new starter the next year no matter what because of cj Carr or yes or, or yeah, yeah. kenny minchie yeah or yeah yeah you're right and when when does deuce deuce sign he would when be the next year. He would be the he would be a freshman on that team, and he could be. I mean, he could he could win the job another time. I expect CJ Carr to win multiple seasons as a starter, but it's. Uh, I I think you both make the point of I I felt in November, Marcus Freeman would very much resist changing coordinators after one year for the guy that he handpicked to run his offense. Yeah. However, they they need more points in these big games. But there was another question that alluded to this: the better defenses are going to stop you most of the time. Like when Tommy Reese in 2019 when they had the highest scoring offense other than this one, it's because they scored 66 points against New Mexico and 52 against Bowling Green. Well, they had 14 against Michigan and 17 against Georgia. That is, yeah. that, that is the sign of an inconsistent offense. They need more consistent than that, but it's been, a, it's been many years since you saw a consistent offense here that could score against anybody. 
And, and look at what Notre Dame did in the 2018 playoffs offensively against Clemson and look at what Notre Dame did in the 2020 playoffs offensively against Alabama. Yeah, and JB, um, speaking of uh, the composition of Notre Dame's wideout core with a look, they won't have a lacrosse player and a former running back playing wide receiver. That's a good group, man. That's a Only really good because lacrosse group. is not as good at LSU, right, Tim? That's, yeah, that's that, yeah, right. saying that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, you so know, they might, I, have, I, they might have a baseball pitcher playing, <laughs> playing <laughs> wide out or something. <laughs> a question from Mac341. What do you think Marcus Freeman did better this year compared to last? And what does he still need to improve upon? You know, it's a weird situation for me because preseason, I said the number one thing he needs to prove is he could handle success because he proved he could handle adversity. Well, it was your number two in a row of handling adversity instead of success. Once right every time they jumped back into the race of some way, I think that they, they, they took a step backwards. I mean, the Ohio State loss, they jump back into it. They get a little success with Sam Hartman, lose to Louisville, come back with two big wins, lose to Clemson, come and they came back with two meet, you know, two little wins. I don't know if the bowl counts um in terms of handling success. This isn't the same thing. So it's the same. It's for me, it's a, a little bit of a relapse of what happened last year, a recurrence of what happened last year. Yeah, I thought there were some elements uh where Freeman was better, particularly um, again, as we've discussed already on this pod in recent weeks, when he was aggressive. And I think that's his tendency is to be aggressive. Um, I like it when he trusts his instincts more than his analytics um, because he was a fine football player for a reason. He had good football IQ, football instincts. So I do think there were some developments that were positive there. I also think we still saw some some personnel management issues that ultimately is a top down. I mean, T.O., you know about that from having enough flags on your players. Um, but then also I felt like there were some, uh, some timeouts that weren't utilized well, or some clock management that was not done well. So it was growth. Look, it's, it's hard to grow on the job as a first time head football coach at the power five level anywhere. It's incredibly hard to be a first time head football coach at the university of Notre Dame. I do, I do think there was some progress, but Marcus Freeman said today and would tell you in a hurry, there's considerable room for improvement. I, you know, I do think like overall clock management end of the first half stuff, especially early in the year, uh, was a lot, was better. Uh, the aggression that you mentioned, John, I, you know, I, I, I agree with that. I think when, when he does that, um, you know, that's, a, that's forward thinking. That's how championship teams have to think and how you want them to play to be a little bit more aggressive. But Look, I don't think over the course of the season you're going going to handle every clock management situation well. I, you know, we don't we don't study every team. I'm sure that Alabama does not handle every clock situation, clock management situation well. Uh, but we tune in so much to this. But I, I think overall those things uh, were a little bit better, especially early in the year. Next from BL Caseburn, and this is a good rapid fire one for you too. December priority list. I assume he means this is for Marcus Freeman. Think of these things, transfer portal, strength and conditioning coach hiring, regular old recruiting, recruiting your roster back, coaching staff changes, anything he is missing. JB, you start, please. Um, You know, I think that the strength and conditioning coach is just about number one because I think it ties into a lot of those other components. Recruits and portal guys want to know, okay, you want me to come, especially if you're a portal guy with one year, Okay, you want me to come and be developed for my final year? 
well, who's going to be working with me the most this winter off season to help me develop. So I think that, I think the strength and conditioning component is first and foremost, they've basically got all the hay in the barn on this 24 signing class. They'll be very selective uh, with potentially maybe three to four guys in the portal, I believe. Uh, so that to me is where, where it, the priorities line. And then you can't, you can't completely forecast um, coaching staff changes or some of those others, or you can't forecast entirely maybe a player on the team getting a bad advice, whether that's to go to the NFL or whether that's to enter the portal because he can get more playing time somewhere else. Those are a little, those are a little harder elements to forecast in my opinion. And coaching staff changes could be as well. You know, I think uh, Syracuse wants to go more offensive minded after vetting Al Golden. I think Jason Candle's a very, very serious candidate there. I expect him to be in the mix at Indiana as well. Uh, but then within that, I also think um, you have to see if there are any Mac jobs open up and just what kind of trickle-down effect there could be. We're not done seeing the dominoes move, especially as we continue to believe in, in every indication that we get at Football Scoop is that this Michigan staff will not return next year. I, I I like Jason Candle. I think the time has come where he is going to move on. He has several opportunities there. In answering the question, I think I think in in every instance, you, the, the in house stuff has to be dealt with first. Recruiting is important. Recruiting um, in the transfer portal, grad transfers those are all those are all very crucial. But strength coach. Um, the first really the first order business like today is recruiting your roster back right i mean the regular season's over and so that's that's at hand that's imminent coaching changes those are those are in-house stuff before you got to get your house in order before your recruiting process the transfer portal can be conducted in a manner that you would like i think the only thing i'd add to this is all of this has started already and it started during the second bye week. Sure, yeah, that's so they're, what, they're that's very right. well into this, you know. Um, I, one thing I'll add, the coaching staff changes. I think Notre Dame is going to have to be careful with its coaching staff changes in January and February when the NFL season ends in two positions, both on defense. That is going to be an interesting change because remember, you don't you, just because you come back with your staff on January 3rd, it doesn't mean anything anymore yeah, so yeah. I, I think that I, but he can't do much about that right now that's that's I, I, yeah I, I would just super quickly add I, I do think uh Notre Dame very much wants to uh work out an extension for Al Golden he's headed into the third year of a three-year deal he's making around two million dollars um before the Miami Dolphins paid a super premium price on a defensive coordinator a lot of NFL defensive coordinators we're not making in the $2 million range. So there are still some spots in college football that are more lucrative than NFL. That's not the only reason. And certainly, you know, we saw Chris O'Leary interview with the Ravens a year ago. He's a great coach. He's turned Xavier Watts into an All-American. I would expect Chris O'Leary to have more opportunities as well. I'm going to skip K. Beasley here because I think we can go back and lament OSU and Clemson at the next nine months of this podcast. But Fern Creek Irish, every Las Vegas over-under on wins coming into the season had Notre Dame at 8.5 or 9. Didn't we end up where every reasonable, non-emotionally compromised person expected? <laughs> but uh, also building on that Irish from A2, with both the offense and defense finishing the top 10, why does it feel like the defense had a fantastic, overachieving season and the offense was a disappointment? Yeah, I'll uh, I'll go first and then I'll slide out of here since I've got to run. Um, but I would say 
I think because Vegas doesn't know the team the way that I believe we know the team. I think that that Vegas set those over-unders um, not knowing um, maybe fully how dominant I believe Joe Alt is and will continue to be at the next level or what Idrick Estime possessed or the, the sum of those parts in the running back room or, um, you know, just Sam Hartman and what he was maybe expected or projected to bring to the table. So I don't think it was, I don't think it was emotion because I don't think you need emotion to sit here today on whatever, November 27th and say, Notre Dame unequivocally should have beaten Ohio State, and honestly, it shouldn't have been a three-point game at the end. I don't think that's emotion saying that. That's my eyeballs from watching that game saying that. Um, and, yeah, then, you know, the Notre Dame defense, you never felt like you, – you feel like the Notre Dame defense had a great year because you never truly felt like the Notre Dame defense just let you down the way it did a year ago at Southern Cal where you felt like no matter what – you couldn't score enough points to win that game. So the Notre Dame defense, you lost three games this year and you had boneheaded mistakes to lose the Ohio State game, but you still lost that game giving up 17 points. That's not bad. Um, you didn't lose that game because of your defense as a whole. You lost that because of a breakdown on third and 18 or 19 and because of 10 men on the field, not once but twice to end the game. I think that's the difference to me. And I appreciate you guys letting me visit with you this week. All right, JB, we'll talk to you, man. Um, you know, we knew that Ohio State, USC, and Clemson were looming. We we thought they could win two out of three, right, Tim? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, we thought they could win two out of three. Uh, and then, you know, you have your ACC opponents that, that Notre Dame has been plowing through year after year. I realize that, that uh, Brian Kelly was the one that was doing most of that. But, uh, you know, and then throwing the fact that, during August, we're looking at a defensive line, defensive tackles, and we're saying, wait a minute, these guys are pretty good. We knew the cornerbacks were really good. We knew the linebackers were really good. The safeties played probably, I mean, I guess if you factor in Xavier Watts, especially played better than anticipated. So, and I don't know. I mean, I, I, I thought I thought 10, 10 wins was realistic. It certainly was because you had Ohio State beaten. And, and I look at it this way, eight wins would have been absolutely miserable for a fan base. And nine is too close to eight. I mean, let's use some math logic here. Not eight. Are oh you imagine God, if they were eight you, and four? Are you kidding? Can you imagine what, can you imagine <laughs> if they were eight and four? Yeah. Any other, throw any game in there, any loss would have been bad there. So, I mean, nine was the minimum when they won nine and no one liked the way they lost the three games. Because even right. the Ohio State game had a bad way of, I mean, they had the worst way of losing technically, if you want to think of it that way. I think Louisville was worse than Ohio State. I think Clemson was worse than Ohio State. But in terms of emotional investment of a fan base, the pain of Ohio State will quintuple Louisville forever. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I, you know, I mean, you walk into Clemson and Clemson is desperate, man. Their backs are to the wall. I feel like I should have had a greater awareness under the circumstances that they were going to refuse to lose. They were going to outplay Notre Dame, especially after what Notre Dame had done going on the road against Louisville. Louisville's good, you know. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. I thought they could win two out of three of the big ones. Um I like I I picked a loss to Clemson in the preseason. Yeah, I did too, but not that Clemson team that I ended up seeing. No, no. Yep. But they did right the ship. Credit to Credit to Davo Sweeney. They righted, righted the ship when 
and Tyler from Spartanburg, that plant. Yeah, he, when he think. was catching heat from uh, Tyler from Spartanburg. What was the second question? To, did you, which question? The second you... question is a great point from Irish from A2. Both the offense and defense finished in the top 10 in scoring, defense and offense. Why does it feel like the defense had a fantastic overachieving season? The offense was a disappointment. I mean, I think there's an obvious answer here. Well, I mean, the defense came to play against those. The yeah, top five exactly. Teams on the schedule, I mean, they scored 58 against Pittsburgh and 56 against Tennessee State and 56 against Stanford. Uh, the, 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 the scoring offense is skewed. We all know that. Yeah, I think that it often is. Um, it often is for, for teams, for for non-championship teams. I mean, Notre Dame usually destroys its bad teams. It doesn't play as well offensively against the, the good teams on the schedule. Last year would be an exception with Clemson. That was probably the biggest outlier I've ever seen for a Notre Dame offense. They had what? Well, they had 21 points on offense, but they they dominated the game of the 35 point. I mean, they dominated that game on all phases. They only scored 21 on offense, but they they played very well. Um, yeah. In terms of why does it feel that way, though, the defense gave Notre Dame a chance to go 12 and 0. And the offense gave Notre Dame a chance to go eight and four, if you count the Duke game, right? That's a good way. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Eight and four would have been the Duke would have been on the offense if Sam Hartman doesn't make that play. Yeah, that's yeah, very 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 easily fourth and sixteen. I mean, come on, man, very easily could have happened against a Mike Elko coach yeah. defense. It very easily could have happened. Good thing uh, they got rid of him. Making messing up that play now, Mike Elko will never get a coaching job again yeah. after he messed up that defense. Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, we skipped over K Beasley, right? Yeah, I said we were going to skip him because we could lament those games for oh, the next nine months. I gotcha. Uh, Indy fan 08, which would be bigger for the defense next season? Uh, there are these four guys returning Cross, Mills, Kaiser, Watts, or L Golden returning. You can pick any three. I would rather have Cross, Mills, and Watts come back than Al Golden if I had to make my choice. Whoa. Whoa. But the biggest the biggest thing for me is that those three and Al Golden come back. Cross, Mills, Watts, Benjamin Morrison, you better be able to field a defense as a defensive coordinator Notre Dame would hire. Well, that's a good point. That's a good point. He developed them. Uh, they won't forget everything that they learned from Al Golden. So, uh yeah, you go you go out and get another not just competent but really good defensive coordinator, which Notre Dame would be They're certainly would be a, what's that? Elko, Elko, Clark Lee, Marcus Freeman, Al Golden. Four yeah. defensive coordinator hires that have been fantastic. Right. And 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 the candidates out there would see Cross, Mills, Kaiser, Watts, or three of those four coming back and say, Yeah, I want to go to Notre Dame and be the coordinator. <laughs> X's and O's, man. X's and O's. Al Golden's awesome. He did a great job. He's the coach of the year on Notre Dame staff, but it's it's Jimmy's and Joe's, not X's and O's. Uh at the end of the day, that's very true. Yes. J Weave five. How would you all grade the season? It was an important from year one. It was an improvement from year one. But to me, it feels like it left a lot to be desired. How much, if any, would a win against Ohio State have changed the rest of the season? Let's start with that part. Well, for, for one, they would have been in the top five after winning that game. Uh, I still think they would have been very vulnerable to Duke, maybe even more vulnerable because they had lo- definitely more vulnerable because they had beaten Ohio State. Um, sure would have given them a big boost of confidence of what they could do moving forward. Uh, but that, you know, that kind of thing can. Can come and go pretty easily. Um, 
it did when you have a when you have a defense like this I, you know i don't want to say it was wasted but man 9 and 3 10 and 3 and sam hartman's your quarterback you certainly feel yeah. like it should have been more I, I feel like it left a lot to be desired because of what you just said the yeah. playoff defense sam hartman was, did not play like a playoff quarterback this year but we projected him to do so and those feelings don't go away and he started off that way yeah yeah, exactly. For for a month, you for a month you like Sam Hart. Everybody loves Sam Hartman because for whatever he did wrong against Ohio State, and that was two fourth downs that he didn't get the first downs. He then came brought them back in all time epic fashion the next week against Duke. So through six games, yeah, through six games, Sam Hartman was exactly what Notre Dame needed. He just happened to lose one of those six games with, I mean, not by himself, obviously. And the defense gave that away at the end, yeah, more so than the screen pass. You know, and that was it. I, I wrote about in today's tale of the tape. I, I, Hartman's pretty perplexing. I, like we understand, like we were saying, how in the world did he throw thirty interceptions in in the last two seasons? Well, now we got a pretty good idea why. Uh, he only threw. He's only thrown eight so far this year. But I, I just don't. I, it, it seems to me. I've said this in in previous podcasts. It just seems to me that his he loses his focus at times. Um, and maybe he feels like he has, he's got to make something happen. I'm sure he felt all season that the wide receiver core was insufficient and, and he was hesitant by the way, on Saturday, there was a Merriweather ran a post pattern. Yeah. And oh, yeah. he, I said it from the press box. He's <laughs> open. And I, and he saw him Hartman saw him. I know he did. I think he did. I feel strongly that he did. I feel strongly he, that he would that he wasn't thinking about throwing it to him before the snap possibly. Perhaps. And that's that might have been the end of yeah. that. Yeah. Perhaps. I mean it, exi- it exists for sure. It's not like for, uh, Merriweather's innocent in this, though. There's a reason he doesn't trust him. No, I, I absolutely I, I understand it completely. But again, credit to Merriweather. He made another that was a really tough catch that he made. He blocked well again. He's put two good games back to back. That's um, should it have been more should have that happened before now? Yeah, it should have, but it didn't. And yet he's done that. And so that's that's all that matters in present day. Yeah, this season reminds me of it's not as um successful because they lost two games and only had one loss going to the last game, but oh six after oh five. You just had such high expectations, and then you just realized they weren't as good as you thought they were. Yeah. That 06 team was better than this because they lost, as I said, their second, their second loss was when they were 10 and one at USC with a faint hope of making the BCS still. So that's yeah. not, not the BCS, but the major six, you know, and knocking out USC. I, it does feel like, I wouldn't say it feels like a lot to be desired, but it felt disappointing to me. I, it would be graded as a preseason disappointment, even at 10 and three though, LSU can change that a little bit. <laughs> Oh, no doubt. Uh, yeah, again, it, it, bowl games change perspectives for nine months. It, it just especially especially beating LSU because it's Brian Kelly, because their offense is good as is as good as it is. That would be that would change that. The, that's, you know, if you go out and you beat Kansas State, which would be hard in, in Pop-Tarts, that would be an accomplishment. But people wouldn't respect it as much. You go out and beat LSU, and it's going to change the narrative. You're going to say, you know what? There are things during the regular season that were disappointing, but, man, beating Brian Kelly and LSU and that offense and 
whether it's Jaden Daniels or it's just their receivers with Nussmeyer, that would be huge. Tim, you want to? Yeah, he gets one last year of that, though, don't you think? He gets one last. Marcus Freeman regime gets one last year of that because that's what happened last year against South Carolina. You're like, hey, yeah, here we go. Finish strong. Did it. Right. Beat LSU. Finish strong. Can't go nine and three again. Yeah, very true. You ready to do the rapid fire picks here, Tim? We doing against or just a winner? No, just pick the winner. Uh, Why don't you start with this tough one, Tim? Big Ten Championship. How are you going to go there? Uh, Michigan by a (laughs) hundred. No, I need a negative ten, right? No, that's you know, Iowa's Iowa's defense is is absolutely for real, but it's a twenty three point spread. Uh, Michigan wins twenty four (laughs) nothing. Twenty four nothing. That's good. It it will be very interesting to see Washington. Or I'm sorry, uh, I'm looking at that game here now. Uh, Michigan's offense against Iowa's defense because Iowa's defense is is legit. They can stop anybody. Michigan's not an offensive juggernaut per se. Uh, I actually, I, I thought they give Ohio State more of a problem. Do you agree with that? No, it's, you're never going to be able to prove it. It's hypothetical. But uh, what the Michigan offense would? Iowa would give Ohio State more of a problem than Michigan. Uh, Ohio State no. would struggle oh, to yeah, beat oh, Iowa more so than Michigan. Yeah, yes. I see what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? Ohio State, they played, they coached scared, they played scared. I think. I also heard they weren't that physical. All right, Big 12 championship game. Texas and the uh, Oklahoma State team, I do not want to play in a bowl game because it just happened. I'd be very bored with that. Yeah, the the points, but man, the point spreads here indicate a lot in these games. Um, it's 14 and a half. I, I had, I, a couple weeks ago, I was asked to pick the final four. I said Michigan, uh, Georgia, Texas, and Oregon. Got a so, chance. Uh, yeah, I do. I've got a chance at that. Texas, Texas, Texas. Texas win. They, I'd they say Oklahoma win. State might cover. There's, there's yeah, a lot more pressure on. There's no pressure on Oklahoma State in this game. So yeah, I don't, I don't have a real good feel for the point spread now, but uh, at this point on a Monday in Vancouver, but uh, Texas, I Texas wins the game. I I kind of like Texas covering, but that's a lot. That's a lot against two teams that square off all the time and. You know, Mike Gundy's a good coach, and it's a big game. And yeah, I take. I agree. I Texas to win, but Oklahoma State to cover. Oregon and Washington. I think I know. That's what I said. Yeah, Oregon and Washington. I think I know. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I love Oregon here. That's a nine and a half point spread. Which did you expect it to be that high? No, but I want Oregon to go in there and win because I'm worried about Washington in a playoff game offending my delicate sensibilities of not wanting to watch the game after a while because they can't stop anybody. In the playoff, yeah, game. yeah, uh, you know, Oregon has a better defense, and yeah. uh, you know, both both teams are are pretty potent, are very potent offensively. I, I like uh, I like Oregon. I think they're I think they're begging you to take the nine and a half, aren't they? Yeah, I, I think so. So then I'm going to take Oregon to cover. How about you? How about, uh, Florida, I am going to take Oregon to cover. Yes, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Florida State and Louisville. Under, I like. Do we really know what we're going to see out of Florida State without? Yeah, under. I, I, I like Louisville. Coming off a loss, I think I like Florida State. 
I don't believe in Louisville at all. That's a that's the that's the toughest one to pick. Obviously, the point spread's two and a half in favor of Florida, uh, Florida State. I just I just don't have a feel for what kind of offense they're going to be able to put out against. Uh, I tell you Louisville. what's going to happen. Hey, Louisville's defense is legit. Jack Plummer, it's going to happen. He's playing. I'm taking Florida State. It's going to happen for you, for Priester. After we thought it was going to happen in uh, early October. I'm gonna I'm gonna get my I'm gonna get my final four. I, people don't want to hear who I picked to win at all. No, I think I think Florida State's going to beat Jack Plummer. Oh, okay, because of Jack Plummer. Oh, I got you. Um, yeah, well, okay. So you heard the four that I picked. I said Michigan's going to win the national title. Now, that may require help from somebody to beat Georgia. I, I just the reason I, I think maybe part of the reason why I picked Michigan to win at all is because I don't want them to. <laughs> Alabama, Georgia. You got Alabama going, yeah. You got them both going in. No, Alabama versus Georgia. Who is your oh. rapid oh, fire prediction? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking about that because that could possibly influence where ultimately uh, where ultimately Notre Dame ends up. Alabama, Georgia. Um, I'll take I'm Alabama. Go I'm going to go with Georgia. Okay. I, I, I definitely want the six. I can't believe that that happened at the end of the Auburn game, though. Oh, my God. And we're sitting in Stanford Stadium again. Again, we're that place that brings again. the best games ever. We saw kick six there. Is Everybody, it? just go back in time uh, on odd-numbered years, and you can see the incredible Thanksgiving Saturday games we have watched in Stanford. Because usually it's up on the big screen jumbotrons. But remember, this game started an hour early, Tim, the Notre Dame-Stanford game. So we were only watching on TV. It's so right. funny because when Stanford used to get some more people in 2011, like when they were great and Andrew Luck senior day, we saw the kick six. Yep. I mean, they put big screen games on there and this was, uh, <laughs> this is a small screen game. And I think it's the only time I've ever cheered in the press box. Only I groaned. I was like, you've got to be kidding me on that touchdown throw. So how do they let that happen? <laughs> I, I, what what happened Saturday is absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Credit to the offensive coordinator. He called the play. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And he got that quarterback to play some pretty good football here as, as they've moved forward in this, in this season. Well, we're going to be back on Thursday um, to talk a little bit more about, I don't know that we'll have a, a, a clearer idea of where Nordheim is going. I don't know that it needs to be any clearer right now. It looks like the, the LSU Tigers in the ReliQuest Bowl on January 1st in Tampa. So until Thursday, I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. <laughs>